Welcome to the IEEE Rebooting Computing Podcast, an IEEE Future Directions Digital Studio production. There's no other electronics product in the world more ubiquitous, in-demand, and necessary than a computing device. From servers that fill football field-sized rooms to mobile devices that fit in our pocket. The power of computing is undeniably the most important component of progress in our world. And nobody knows this better than Dr. Bill Taunty, the Senior Director for IEEE Future Directions. With a deep education in electrical engineering and a foundational career in the semiconductor industry, Dr. Tonti is now focusing on bringing new technologies from incubation periods to fully baked IEEE societies that later define how products and services are formed. Among all the IEEE Future Directions initiatives, IEEE Rebooting Computing is helping create a new foundation for an entire industry. In fact, it's trying to redefine the observation and projection of Moore's Law, thus allowing the computing industry to continue giving consumers access to devices and services that otherwise wouldn't be mass market affordable. So, how is all this achieved? Dr. Bill Tonti explains. So my background is, is semiconductor physics. I worked for a semiconductor company for 32 years, basically developing the, uh, the various nodes under the guise of, of beating and exceeding Moore's Law. And uh, it's, was clear to, it was clear to me even when I was in that industry that uh, Moore's Law would end fairly, fairly soon. We're at the level now in semiconductors, for example, where the, um, the, the feature size that we're printing is at the atomic level. So you can say game over. Once you are at that level and printing at that level, it's impossible to scale in the conventional sense uh, X and Y scale the semiconductor feature size because you've gone to the minimum feature that you can actually image in a chip because you're, op- you're operating at the atomic level. So the idea of rebooting computing and taking it to a point where what is the next architecture going to look like to continue enhancing performance and speed of, of a system is what this initiative is all about. And in terms of what the IEEE is doing there, we're open-minded and looking at all different kinds of architecture that might replace silicon or augment it in the future. So there's all sorts of activities going on in that, in that arena. And some of that is happening at this conference. Neomorphic computing, for example, that's probably one of the biggest uh, attractions at this event. I think there's four sessions on neomorphic computing. So the ability to compute in an environment that's like our brain where it's not, um, it's not deterministic computing, but it computes by looking at inputs that are coming from various sources and then providing a weighted output that provides the response. So if you will, probabilistic computing or computing by, um, by taking a weighted sum, which is the way our brain works. So is that the next path towards computing? Well, maybe. Um, there was even a session this morning, a keynote on quantum computing. Is that the next level of computing? So that's similar to neomorphic, but quantum computing. A, a true quantum computer actually does weight the uh, the sums and the inputs. It takes multiple multiple uh, inputs and computes those multiple inputs, and then looks at the results in a quantum way and says, "What is the what is the most likely scenario that uh, that might occur given these inputs?" And all of, those, all of those outputs may not be the same. It's not like computing of today where we put an input in and we get an output. That output is, 
is it's only one output and it's the correct output. In this case, in quantum computing, uh, the state may flip, for example, to a yes or a no decision, um, taken multiple times. But taking taking this stuff multiple times and then looking at the output of that, you can make uh, a good guess with high probability. And in high probability, we always talk about five nines. So 99.99999. Uh, five nines of, of uh, probability that this answer is correct. And quantum computing tries to solve that problem. So those are some of the some of the more um, those are some of the areas of computing today that might become what we do tomorrow. There's other areas of computing we're not even talking about in this conference. For example, using using what we see in the environment for a photosynthesis-like process or a bioprocess to do quantum computing. So if you look at photosynthesis, uh, as you look outside, we're, out, we're sitting here looking at these beautiful trees, but as you look at photosynthesis, that's a massively parallel um, type of, uh, of processing that's going on outside. And if we, if we made a parallel of that, a biocomputer a bio that was like photosynthesis, it would be massively parallel. We can take many, many inputs and process them simultaneously in perhaps one of these environments, neomorphic, quantum, or even deterministic. But we would use this. It would be very, very low power. But in terms of our ability to compute in that area, it's difficult because the lifetime of that, of that biospecies is very small. So we have to somehow come up with a way to replace it. Now, today, the lifetime, for example, of a semiconductor product is very long compared to these bioproducts. When, uh, when, when we develop uh, a processor today, and it doesn't matter if it's the standard processor that we're doing, like we see in our PCs or one of these neomorphic machines or even a quantum machine, the lifetime of those machines are usually 10 years, 100,000 hours. Uh, the lifetime of uh, some of these bioprocesses, which are massively parallel and can do immense computing, uh, are very, very short. They're in the area of milliseconds. So orders and orders of magnitude less. So you have to come up with a way to reproduce these, just like we reproduce um, our, you know, our defective skin cells on a continuous basis. These biosystems need that too. So will that be another wave of computing in the future? Well, maybe. Um, the IEEE Rebooting Computing Initiative takes this actually to another level, and it says not only do I have to figure out what the computing system is in the future, and I mentioned a couple of possibilities but the Rebooting Computing Initiative is also looking at, I need to integrate that solution with the OS, the operating system, so that they go hand in hand. They're not discon disconnected anymore. They have to be thought of at the same time. We wouldn't be developing a new architecture and then the OS on top of it. Those have to be done together. And the reason for that is there are many, many uh, issues with having an OS that's disconnected from the hardware, so to speak. And, and one of those has come up in many meetings that the IEEE holds, and it's the concept of dark silicon. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but I'll just describe it briefly. So dark silicon is the concept that I've generated, I've built this processor, it has 356 cores. But when I run this particular application, I have a problem. The problem might be power, it might be heat, it might be speed in the various cores that are timed. It didn't know that this application was actually going to try and use the processor in, in some specific way. And uh, what the architecture has to do in that scenario is when that application is running, it basically has to shut down many of its cores 
so that it can handle whatever the operation is that it didn't really know in the beginning when it was developed that this would exist. So when you talk to somebody who's developing, you know, that whole that whole infrastructure and uh, having to shut down various various pieces of a you know of a deterministic computer, for example, they call it dark silicon. What's happening today will probably continue in the future. And what's happening today are uh, innovators are looking at a solution to take us to the next to the next bump in Moore's law. So the next doubling of performance and um, keeping the power constant, for example. We're looking at solutions that can do that today. And the first one that came up is actually in production now. It's called the, uh, the FinFET. So in the past, transistors were um, orthogonal or, or planar on a silicon substrate, essentially two-dimensional operation. Uh, a FinFET is a three-dimensional transistor. It has, it has the ability to drive to drive a device or drive its next stage from three faces. And it, it sticks up in the air. So the, the transistor is a three-dimensional now act, uh, property that sticks up in the air, and it provides a bump. It provides a very, a very healthy bump in, uh, in speed and performance at a given power level. The problem with that is once you implement a FinFET at the minimum feature size, so let's assume we're at the minimum feature size, you've kind of shot the bullet and you're done. There is no FinFET in the next node because it's the node that you have. So uh, once you do it, you don't have the ability to scale that a second time. So you've, you've, you've played that scenario out, and it's a one-time deal. Um, there's, another, there's another activity that's going on that people have, uh, have coined heterogeneous computing. Heterogeneous computing recognizes that we have really good logic in a deterministic machine that is built, you know, in a particular node or a particular feature, let's say 32 nanometers. We decide that's the best logic node for what I need in my application. So you pull that off the shelf, you build your logic in 32 nanometers, and you say, well, it's not really the best, the best node or the best process to put my static RAM, um, my memory, my, uh, my, my cache memory on chip. You'd like it to be on chip because it's really fast. If you go off chip, you have to go through all of the wiring and inductances, most likely of a board, and all the support stuff that's in between, so it slows down. You'd like it on chip because it's very, very fast. It can operate at the clock speed of whatever that logic is. So in a heterogeneous computing environment, you, pick, you, you go off the shelf and you pick the best SRAM, whatever that is. Um, you take those two, those two now d uh, disconnected assemblies, which one was done in process A and a particular feature size, the other one's process B, and you mount those vertically in a silicon package. You put what's called through-chip interconnects into those assemblies, and you mount them and wire them, and now it becomes essentially an on-die chip. It's running at clock speed. And you can do that for other pieces uh, as well. So imagine the stack is infinite. You can take your best um, transceiver, for example, if you're doing a, a, a GPS type of environment or a cell phone uh, for communication, and you can put the transceiver in another layer of this stacked package. Um, if you have off-chip memory where you need to store uh, results, you might want to also do the same thing with dynamic RAM, which isn't as fast as static RAM, but it's still very, very good, and you might take your best DRAM process and make a layer and so on and so forth. So heterogeneous computing is 
three-dimensionally before I talked about FinFETs, where three, which was a three-dimensional transistor in a single layer. But now you're taking three-dimensionally all of these different uh, best um, components that you can make in a particular process. You're, you're processing them on separate wafers and chips, and you're stacking them and putting interconnects that tie everything up and down the chain. So you've built an, basically an on-chip solution in a three-dimensional package. So that's what's going on now to, uh, to keep, if you will, Moore's Law and what we've come to know as this you know, beautiful, um, harmonious performance uh, power uh, kind of scenario over, over time in, in, in check, so to speak. But again, after we do this, um, and we've played this out in these various scenarios, we're done. So there are, you've taken the best of the best, and you've made, this, you've made this particular assembly, but if you want to go the next level up, something else has to happen. So whether that's carbon nanotubes, or it's, uh, you know, if you can look at some of the nanowires that are out there that people are talking about, whether that's the next technology step is to be determined. There are some things that are going on, you know, in silicon, to keep it going, but in terms of what we do today, the actual scaling is ending, and people are looking at alternatives. So uh, there are there are in the roadmap that we're developing in the Rebooting Computing Initiative, the IRDS, the International Roadmap for Devices and Systems. There are working groups that are addressing these various things that I just mentioned. Um, one of them is called More More. So can we can we come up with schemes like heterogeneous computing? Um, or FinFETs, for example, or carbon, I'm sorry, carbon nanotube assemblies or um, some of these nanowires that actually keep the Moore's Law scaling going, and that's what's called Moore's More. And then there's another group that's in competition with that that's called Beyond CMOS. So Beyond CMOS recognizes that scaling is ended. What do we do next? And those are some of the other kinds of things that I just mentioned, whether it's a quantum computer, a quantum machine, a a neomorphic machine, maybe it's a biomachine. Those kinds of things are being investigated by Beyond CMOS. It's saying, let's, let's look at other alternatives for the architecture, but we also want to integrate the operating system. So that's what that group is doing. What will emerge? You know, something will. I think uh, there's a lot of innovative minds, and something will emerge. What exactly it is and what we will book, we don't know. Um, there's pressure. So there's pressure in all of this. There's a whole ecosystem in this, in this Moore's Law environment, which is essentially all the manufacturers that have developed the equipment that people are using to build this stuff. And then the design systems that are used to actually uh, verify, check, test, and you know, move this out to the marketplace. So these all have to be considered, too. It's not an insignificant um, discussion to have. So you know, in terms of, you know, I built this great new system, but can I manufacture it is you know, a big question. And how do I test it? You know, how do I verify it? How do I make sure that what I built, you know, as a human is actually exactly the way it's going to work? Um, so those are, that's another area of concern, which is also in the IRDS. There's a, a manufacturability working group that's looking at, you know, you've got a great idea and you built one, but can you build, you know, 50 billion? Um, and keep the reliability, for example, at five nines as this stuff goes out of the marketplace. Thank you for listening to our interview with Dr. Bill Taunty. Discover more about the IEEE Rebooting Computing Initiative and listen to other podcasts in this series by visiting our web portal at rebootingcomputing.ieee.org.